to the Word of God. And sometimes people say, oh, doctrine is boring. I don't believe, I don't think so. I think, I think doctrine is exciting. And I'm going to challenge you and encourage you uh, to stay awake, pay attention this afternoon, and consider uh, the truth of God's Word. It will help you. It will solidify you in your own faith uh, to know what you believe and exactly why you believe it and why we practice or do the things that we do in this church. And, and uh, so I'm saying that because Wednesday night we are going to be observing the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to teach on it this afternoon and preach a little bit on it Wednesday night uh, before we observe the Lord's Supper. But it's been a while uh, since we taught uh, anything on this subject, and there's new people that have been saved, there are new members uh, that have not observed the Lord's Supper with us, and so I want to take some time today to consider this subject, and, and honestly, the Lord's Supper is a subject that requires a careful study of the Word of God. It is very misunderstood amongst, quote, Christians and and in particular, even Baptists, independent Baptists. And the Lord's Supper is an ordinance, like baptism is an ordinance, which also is generally misunderstood. And the religious world has all kinds of substitutes for the real thing. And it's important that you know what the Bible teaches and what you believe and should believe and why you believe it. Okay? And so we're going to focus in and just teach the Bible regarding the Lord's Supper. Now, when we talk about the Lord's Supper uh, in the Word of God, the only references to the Lord's Supper in the New Testament are in the Gospels and in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we'll give an example. Go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And I'll read this portion. Uh, you can follow along. But it's also recorded in Mark chapter 14. It's also recorded in Luke 22. And then we're going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in just a minute. And we'll spend a lot of time in 1 Corinthians this afternoon. But in Matthew 26, we see the first Lord's Supper that was instituted by Jesus Christ Himself. And look in verse 17, and we'll read down several verses now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto Him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And He said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The Master saith, My time is at hand, I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the even was come, He sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, it is I. He said unto him, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. 
And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when he had sung in hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And the reference to the Lord's Supper that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is actually a rebuke that the Apostle Paul is giving the church at Corinth because of the serious disorders uh, concerning the Lord's table that they were practicing. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 14, the Bible says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are they, are they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then? that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. And here's the point. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Now, um, skip to chapter 11. And so Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. He's rebuking them for their disorders concerning the Lord's Supper. And he gets to chapter 11, and he says in in Skip down to verse 17 of chapter 11. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, in the one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Let's, let's actually keep on reading down through the end of the chapter. Verse 27 says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily 
shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him uh, eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. And so Paul talks a lot about the Lord's Supper in relation to the church in Corinth. And these are the only references that we have in the Word of God concerning the Lord's Supper. However, we don't need any more to know exactly what the Lord thinks and what the Lord has to say about it. And so, when we talk about the Lord's Supper, let's ask this question, what exactly is the Lord's Supper? And we want to just take note of what the Bible, the terminology that the Bible uses concerning the Lord's Supper. There's only three terms in the Bible for the Lord's Supper, and we find them in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. Look there, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ. And so the Word of God calls it communion in chapter 10 and verse 21. For in eating, that's in chapter 11, chapter 10, verse 21, ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Here it's called the table of the Lord or the Lord's table. So it's the communion it's the table, the Lord's table, and in chapter 11 and verse 20, when ye come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And so we find these three terms referring to the Lord's Supper, and I'm saying this for this reason. The Bible doesn't mention man-made ecclesiastical terms like the Mass, or the Holy Communion, or the Eucharist, etc., those are man-made things. The Word of God tells us what it is called. Now, I want to compare a couple passages of Scripture to help us understand, uh, when we're talking about the Lord's Supper, what it actually is. Is it something that is, is uh, you know, a preference? Is it something that, that is, um, you know, it's subject to whatever a church or whatever a group decides it wants it to be? Is that what the Lord's Supper is? Or is it something more specific? Now look in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. Paul says this to the church. He says, Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I deliver them to you. Okay? Now look in, in verse 23 of the same chapter. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. So what is Paul saying? He says, he says first of all, that, that the church should keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. And then he says, You keep the thing that I've received of the Lord myself and am delivering to you. Now, what's the important part here? The word ordinance is the important part. 
The word ordinance, it means the giving of a precept or a law. It's the teaching of a law, the teaching of a precept. Now, what is a precept? (laughs) A precept is a command. A precept is a law. Uh, It's not a principle, and it's not a preference. It is an actual command from the Lord. And, and, And Paul states that, I'm delivering to you, I'm teaching to you what I have received of the Lord. So who's the authority? The Lord is. Who's the bottom line? The Lord is. What is it called? It's called the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. Amen? So it's not open to and left up to man to be able to decide what it is and what we do with it. Okay? Everybody following this? This is foundational for where we're going. So now I want to ask another question. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? So the general question is, what is the Lord's Supper exactly? Well, we know it's an ordinance. It's a command. But when we partake of the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? Is there spiritual benefit for my standing with God as far as my relation to God? And that's an important question because there's religion out there and we'll just... Catholicism, Catholics are taught this. Catholics are taught that the Mass, and we've mentioned that already, is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And what they believe and what they are taught and what they mean by that is that Jesus Christ is present on the altar. That He is being sacrificed for the sin of mankind. And they call it transubstantiation. It's a long word and a hard word, but basically what it means is that the body, uh, that the, the wafer that they use and the alcoholic wine that they use literally become the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, whenever they take the Mass, Jesus is being sacrificed for their sin, and they literally consume the flesh of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the truth. That's what they are taught and what they believe. Now, the observance of Mass, then, for them, is a means of grace. And what that means is it's a part of their salvation. And so I'm asking the question, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? Is there some spiritual benefit for my standing with God. And they actually eat the real flesh of Jesus Christ. They also are taught and believe that it's a mortal sin to not receive Holy Communion at Easter. Meaning, if you commit a mortal sin, there's no chance for you to ever see heaven. Okay, so is that, is that what the Lord's Supper is about is there spiritual benefit for me as far as my standing with God? What are we actually doing when we observe the Lord's Supper? Well, the Word of God tells us. And look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24. Paul again writing in verse 23, he said, I've received this of the Lord, that which also I delivered unto you, 
that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus is the author. Jesus is the authority. It's his supper. And Jesus says, when you observe the Lord's Supper, you keep the command that I'm giving you, you're doing it in remembrance of me. In other words, it's a memorial of Jesus Christ, remembering his sacrifice for our sin. It's a memorial according to Jesus himself. So as we observe the Lord's Supper, we're remembering Christ, remembering, looking back at what Jesus did for our salvation. Okay, now look in verse 26. Try not to fall asleep. Okay, try work really hard at that. Okay, verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So here we find another aspect of it. We remember, we look back at what the Lord has done, but we also show the Lord's death till he come. What does that word show mean? Okay, we need to understand, what are we doing when we observe the Lord's Supper? We're remembering Christ, but we also show the Lord's death till He come. It means to announce. It means to declare, to publicly publish. So in other words, what Jesus is saying when you observe the Lord's Supper, it's a testimony. You are publicly publishing. You're showing the Lord's death till He come. It's a, it's a testimony to the world of what Jesus Christ has done. So, as we look at the Scripture, what do we understand and determine about the Lord's Supper? Number one, that it's a symbol, it's symbolic. And number two, it's a memorial. We observe the Lord's Supper to remember Christ, and it's symbolic. It's not a sacrament. It's not a means of grace or part of our salvation. It's a memorial remembering what Jesus Christ did. Now, the question then which I've already alluded to, but when we observe the Lord's Supper, is it commanded? Is it a choice? Is it a preference? What is this exactly? Well, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 24, the Bible says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Jesus says, this is what you do. In other words, it's a command. It's an ordinance. Paul said it earlier. You keep the ordinance as I have given them to you. It's a command to be obeyed for the Lord's churches. So it's not optional. It's not a preference. It's not a precept. It's a command. So what is the Lord's Supper? Well, it's a memorial. It's a testimony and it's a command to be obeyed. So now let's ask another question then. All right, so we got the foundation of what it is. What is then the symbolism of the Lord's Supper? If it's symbolic, what is the symbolism of the Lord's Supper? Well, in order to discover that, 
we need to understand the elements that are used in the observance of the Lord's Supper. What are the elements that are used? Well, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And so he broke the bread and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. And then, verse 25, after the same manner, he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. All right? Now, remember back in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus did the same thing or said the same thing. Those were Jesus' words. So we find here that the elements of the Lord's Supper are, one, unleavened bread. And we'll talk about the symbolism of unleavened bread in a second. But then number two, the cup. Now, that's important for us to understand what that is. And go to Matthew chapter 26. Again, just keep your place here in, in 1 Corinthians 11 and look at Matthew 26. Now, in many places, when they observe the Lord's Supper, they use bread and wine. They call it the bread and the wine. Jesus does not use that term at all. In Matthew 26 and verse 29, the Bible says, But I, these are Jesus' words, I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus calls it the fruit of the vine. 1 Corinthians uses the term the cup. And and here's the point I'm trying to make. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible refer to wine in connection with the Lord's Supper. Alcoholic wine is something that is fermented. It's a fermented thing that's the result of the action of yeast involved. And yeast is a picture of is leaven, which is a picture of sin. And I'll, I'll break it down in just a second for you. The, in the Bible, leaven is always symbolic of sin. Uh, in fact, let me show that to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll just hit it real quick and move on. But 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 6. 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And it's symbolic of sin in Christ, who's our Passover, who is sinless. And, and he talks about you're a new lump and you're unleavened. And so the bread is unleavened bread. The cup is the fruit of the vine, not alcoholic. Alcoholic wine and unleavened bread uh, or unleavened bread would be invalid symbols of the spotless Son of God. So let's talk about each of those for a second. The symbolism of the bread. It's got to be unleavened, which we're discovering, because leaven is a picture of sin. Jesus was sinless in his body. The bread is a picture of something. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The unleavened or sinless, we could call it, body of Jesus Christ is a picture 
In, verse, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 24, notice this, where Jesus, He had given thanks, He broke the bread, and He said, Take, eat, this is My body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of Me. So the symbolism is that it's unleavened, which is sinless, and it's broken. And so what we find here is that the bread pictures the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because it's a memorial and it reminds us of the terrible suffering that the Lord Jesus Christ experienced on our behalf. His body was broken. Even though there wasn't a bone in his body that was broken, that was a prophecy uh, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. Nevertheless, his body was beaten and torn and broken, and it's a reminder for us of the terrible suffering that Jesus Christ took in our place. The symbolism of the cup, or the fruit of the vine, which would be grape juice, it pictures the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In in verse 25, Jesus says, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And it reminds us that without the shedding of blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, there could be no remission of sin. According to Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. In 1 Peter chapter 1, hold your place, but in 1 Peter 1, in verse 18, the Bible says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so... The shedding of blood was necessary for the remission of sin. It was and it is the only way for sin to be forgiven, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, there had to be blood. There had to be a cross. Blood had to be shed to pay for sin, but it had to be sinless blood. And so the symbolism of the cup, which is the fruit of the vine, represents the shed blood, the spotless, sinless blood of Jesus Christ. Alcohol would not be the right kind of symbol for the spotless, sinless blood of Jesus Christ, nor would leavened bread or yeast in the bread. And so that's the symbolism of the Lord's Supper. But what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? What is the purpose of it? Well, like the ordinance of baptism, the Lord's Supper is a picture of Jesus Christ. What is the symbolism of baptism? We know that baptism doesn't save anybody. Baptism is a symbolic picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is also symbolic of what has spiritually happened to me on the inside. The old man is dead, he's buried, 
We are buried with him by baptism into death. And I'm risen to a new life in Jesus Christ. And so it symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He died. He was crucified. He was buried in the grave. He rose again the third day. Spiritually, I'm a brand new person because of Jesus Christ. The old man is dead. The old man is gone. And it's symbolic when I go under the water that the old man is dead and I'm risen to a brand new life in Jesus Christ. That's baptism. It symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But the Lord's Supper also sets forth a beautiful symbol of the Lord's death. Look in, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians in verse 26. So he says, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And so when we observe the Lord's Supper, we are symbolizing and testifying of the Lord's death until he come. That tells us how long we're supposed to be observing the Lord's Supper as a New Testament church, until the Lord comes. There's never a time to quit. Now, here's the real important question. So we understand what it is. We understand the purpose of it, that it's symbolic and it's a testimony. But here's a real question that, that is relevant to the day in which we live. The question is this. Who should observe the Lord's Supper? Who should observe the Lord's Supper? Well, in Matthew chapter 26, I want you to go back there. And we read through this passage. We'll not read all of it again. But I want you to note something. <clears throat> when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper during this pre-Passover meal, I want you to notice who was present at the time. In Matthew 26, in verse 20, now, when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And then he goes on, and they talk about Judas. In verse 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it. So who was present with the Lord when he instituted the Lord's Supper? The twelve, right? That's what verse 20 tells us. That would be the apostles, correct? All right? So now let's look in, in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And look at verse 16. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And again, Judas is talked about the one who would betray him. Verse 22, And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave it to them. Take, eat, this is my body. So, according to Mark, who is present? Well, it looks like the twelve, correct? But now let's go over to John. John chapter 13. When we study and compare scripture with scripture there's a lot of people and i'm just i'll just come out and say it there's a lot of people who believe that judas being one of the 12 was there with the lord and observed the lord's supper i don't believe that that's true when you 
look at John chapter 13, and I'll read several verses here. I think we get a better picture of exactly who was there. In John chapter 13 and verse 18, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. So the scriptures prophesied that there would be one who would betray Jesus. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. So Jesus is predicting and telling Someone's going to betray me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, Simon Peter therefore beckoning to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly." Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that ye have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. And you can read on the narrative, and when you compare the Scriptures with the Scriptures... I believe that Judas left immediately, and after Judas left, then Jesus observed and instituted the Lord's Supper. Judas was not a saved man, and Judas Iscariot left that Passover meal to betray Jesus before the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. Now, why did I say all of that? Well, because it sets a pattern for us here of who should observe the Lord's Supper. Who was there? Well, it was the Lord's apostles. And the question then needs to be asked, were there other saved people at the time? Yes, of course, there was lots of other saved people at the time. But who was there observing the Lord's Supper? It was the Lord's apostles who also were the members of the first church, the church that Jesus established. Now, Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, the Bible tells us, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, Secondarily, prophets, thirdly, teachers, after that, miracles, etc. And you can study out those words, the word first, what does it mean? Is it first in order or is it first in importance, etc., etc.? Well, it's, it's first in order. The God has set some in the church first apostles. You can read in the book of Luke how Jesus called out the twelve from the other disciples that were there. And he used, and his disciples became the members of his first church. 
And the question is, what did this group of people constitute? Well, they constituted the church. Like I said, there were other saved people at the time, but they were not there. Jesus was very specific in the pattern that he was establishing. Now, let's compare a couple of other passages just for the sake of example. In, in Matthew chapter 26 again, in fact, I'll just read it to you since we've read this a number of times. In Matthew 26, they have observed the Lord's Supper. You get down to verse 30, and the Bible says, And when they had sung in hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now, why am I saying this? Because, okay, it's, it's, it's the apostles that are there. They're organized together as a group. They're in one place with, the, with Jesus Christ. They all sing a hymn. They all sing a hymn. Then they went out. Now, go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Or 2, rather, in verse 12. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12. Hebrews 2.12 says saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And it's just a simple reference, but the point that I'm trying to make here is that the Lord's Supper was instituted in the church. They were organized, they were assembled together, they had to be in order to even sing together. But now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to get more specific here. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul is rebuking the church at Corinth for turning that simple memorial supper into some sort of drunken feast. And they were, they were disorderly in their observance and conduct concerning the Lord's Supper. And so the whole point is about uh, Paul rebuking them for, for that. But I want you to note this. In verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 11, notice what he says. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that when or that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Notice the words when he says, when ye come together. Okay? Now skip down to verse 18. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Skip to verse 20. When ye come together, therefore into one place... This is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And then he goes on to talk about the Lord's Supper. And the reference here is that Paul is saying, he's writing to a church, the church of God, which is at Corinth. And he says, when you come together, when you're organized together. Now, you might, I might be losing you, but the point is that the command or the ordinance to keep the Lord's Supper has been given to the Lord's churches. Jesus' first church, the church in Corinth, in a specific place for those particular people. Okay? The bottom line is that the Lord's Supper is a church ordinance. It's given to the Lord's churches to observe. Now, question. What are the two requirements for membership in a New Testament Baptist church? Somebody tell me. This will wake you up. Okay, the first one is salvation. You have to have a credible salvation testimony. you got to be saved. Okay, and the second one is what? 
baptism. You've got to be scripturally baptized. Those are the requirements for being a member of a New Testament Baptist church. Who, to whom, was the ordinance of the Lord's Supper given? To a church, to the Lord's churches, right? In order to be a member of the church, you've got to be saved, you've got to be baptized. Now, why am I saying this? Because here's where the rub is for a lot of people. There's, there's a few schools of thought when it comes to observing the Lord's Supper. There's what we would call open communion, which a lot of churches practice. In other words, uh, we're observing Lord's Supper. You say that you're saved. Anybody from anywhere, you, you believe in Jesus Christ, you say that you're saved. Sure, come on, observe the Lord's Supper with us. It's open to anyone who has a salvation testimony or says that they are. There's also what is called close communion. And what this means, and what a lot of people, a lot of Baptists practice this, is that if you uh, are saved, you're a Baptist, you believe, you, you say you believe like we do, then you're welcome to join us as we observe the Lord's Supper. So you might be on vacation and you might be visiting another Baptist church. They seem to be fairly sound in their doctrine. For the most part, they preach a good gospel, salvation by grace through faith, etc. They're observing the Lord's Supper and it's a Sunday afternoon or evening service and you're there visiting and they say, hey, if you are of like faith and practice, you can observe the Lord's Supper with us. Okay, that's close communion. They wouldn't take a Catholic, they wouldn't take a, a Methodist, they wouldn't take a Presbyterian. But if you're an independent Baptist and of like faith and practice, you can observe with us. But then there's closed communion, which I believe is the biblical position, where it's only for the members of this particular body who are assembled together because the body, right, the church is the body of Christ. Now, why do other churches then have open or uh, close communion? Why do they have it? If, if the Lord's Supper is a church ordinance, it's for the Lord's churches, why do they practice something different? Because they don't actually believe in or understand what the New Testament church really is. They believe that the church is the body of Christ, but the body of Christ means all saved everywhere. And if you, if you observe or you look at doctrinal statements or you talk to you know, pastors of these churches or people in the churches, and you say, what do you believe about the Lord's Supper? Uh, and they would say, well, if you're like faith and practice, you can, you can join. You say, what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit... Uh, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit baptizes the believer into the body of Christ. That's what they will say. And they'll reference 1 Corinthians 12, 13, saying that the Holy Spirit is baptizing into the body of Christ. Well, what is that? Well, it's the church. Well, then the church has to be all believers everywhere. You understand what I'm saying? That's the reason why there's confusion. That's the reason why it's misunderstood. The biblical position is that the ordinance is for a local New Testament church, this body of believers. So, when our church comes together, and how can you come together if it's all the saved everywhere, right? When our church comes together to observe the Lord's Supper, only members of our church 
who are in good standing may properly partake. We don't open it up to Christians in general or even to members of other Baptist churches. If you're a member of another Baptist church, you go observe the Lord's Supper with them. That's your body. It's for this body. Many people find that hard to take, or it's a rub, it's a hard doctrine for them in light of their own situation. But we have to remember that it's the Lord's Supper, not man's. He's the one who issues the invitation. He's the one who sets the standard. And like I said, many churches open the Lord's table to all who are sincere in truth and so on. And that, you know what, that sounds good. Why would, you, why, would you, why would you not allow people who are of like faith and practice, so they say, to observe the Lord's Supper with you? Why would you not open it up to all who sincerely love the Lord? And let's remember the Lord together. Why would you not do that? You know, it sounds good. But it also opens up the real possibility of allowing Christians who hold some other belief to join together with us. But you know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 18? He forbids the observance of the Lord's Supper by any church when there are divisions and there are heresies among you. And so we can two walk together except they be agreed? We don't condone or we don't believe the same. We don't, we, and, and by observing the Lord's Supper together, we would essentially be saying, we agree, we join hands with you. Jesus didn't do that. And so it's not a, we're better than you kind of an attitude at all. No, this is simply the pattern that Jesus has set forth in the Bible. Now, we can talk about how. We observe the Lord's Supper. How often do we do it? Well, Jesus said, as oft as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Some churches observe annually. Some observe every single week. There's no set pattern of how often, just as often as you do, do it in remembrance of me. And then we could study out the rest of 1 Corinthians, which maybe we'll do on Wednesday night, that before we come together at the Lord's table, there needs to be some personal self-examination because eating unworthily opens up for ourselves judgment. And we'll talk about maybe what that means. And then there's a pattern besides of how we observe it and why we do. For example, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 33, Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And we find in Matthew 26 and verse 30 that after Jesus observed the Lord's Supper with His disciples, they closed in singing a hymn. After they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And so there are things that we do because of the pattern that was set by Jesus Christ. The important question is, what's it about? Why do we do it? Who should observe it? And those are uh, very vital and relevant 
uh, questions that need to be answered in your own mind. Why do you believe what you believe? Well, because the Word of God points that out to us. So we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper on Wednesday night. There's probably going to be some people here who are not members of our church. They're welcome to be here. They're welcome to observe what's happening, um, but they won't be partaking of the Lord's Supper. And I'll make that very clear and do it in a gentle manner as well, that you're welcome to stay, you're welcome to see what's going on, but here's why we do this. And it's a testimony to show the Lord's death till He come. Amen? So, you have a question that is presented to you by somebody else from another church somewhere. Are you able to scripturally answer that question? Why don't you let other people observe the Lord's Supper with you? What is it actually all about? Could you take the Bible and show them from the Word of God uh, why alcoholic wine should not be used? What does it represent? Who actually should observe? Why is it important? What's the point? And it's important for us to know what we believe and why we believe it. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word, that it gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And, and Lord, I'm thankful for doctrine. Doctrine is not boring. Doctrine is exciting. It's a, it's, it's a blessing that you've given us exactly what we need. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be students of your word and Lord, to stand on truth and never compromise it, never be ashamed of it. And Lord, I'm, I'm thankful for this church and for these people. And I pray that you'd ground us further in truth, that we might grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, Christian maturity, to look more like Jesus Christ. Thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.